Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the minimalists. We often get stuck when we're unwilling or unable to question the beliefs, opinions, and worldviews that have shaped us. But if we can't let go of old attitudes, then aren't we forever anchored to the past? And if we're anchored... How can we possibly move forward? That's what we're talking about today on the show with Michael Gunger. Michael is the host of the Liturgist podcast. He's also the author of this beautiful book. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll hold it up here. It's called This. Subtitle is Becoming Free. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this as opposed to that. We're going to talk about becoming free. We're going to talk about letting go of beliefs. And then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Ryan and I are going to talk to Michael about the courage it takes to walk away from your past life, even if it pisses off a large number of your friends and and family and even a, a large chunk of your giant audience, Michael. You can check that out at patreon.com slash The Minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement-free because, say it with me, advertisements suck. <laughs> we do this with audiences, it's true. Yeah. Um, Michael, thank you so much for being here, brother. Thank you for having me. It's oh, a pleasure. This is uh, such a great book. I, I thought, before we get into our first question here from Barbara on Twitter, let's open the podcast with a poem. Mm. And yeah. so you open your book with a poem, and I yeah. thought this would be the most appropriate place to start. Would you mind reading this for sure. us? Sure. This is all there is. Yesterday and tomorrow are just wounds and stories. This is not all there is. There is also that, desiring milk while you drink water. That is suffering. Of course, that is absurd, for this is all there is. Does this confuse you, beloved? Perhaps I could say it a different way. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Mm. Mm. This book is about, well, it's about this. And um, we have a great source of misery. People often start listening to the Minimalist podcast because the average American household has 300,000 items in it. Because wow, we're, we're all like, searching yeah. for that yeah. through things. Mm. Now, that's in our culture, but many years before cheap plastic goods were available for next to free with one-click shipping, we were still searching for that in a multitude of ways. So we're going to get some audience questions here in a moment, but I thought maybe you could just talk about the... Um, the impetus of this book. It seemed to me like you were going through some some great suffering that led to uh, an awakening of sorts. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, the impetus was in part kind of trying to process what I was experiencing. I've found as a musician that writing songs about what I'm going through actually kind of clarifies for me. It, it kind of helps me actually experience what I'm going through in a way, you know? So 
uh, writing this book was kind of like everything had been shifting in internally for me and try like writing was part of how I kept noticing what was happening to me. It was kind of like the observation of the evolution. And it was, and it was, uh, so much of my life has been sh sharing my internal experience through some sort of art form. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of how I'm wired. And, and so this was a book that was about, about this and about my own personal journey of learning to embrace the moment that I live in and, and even in the writing of the book and like it, it even kind of was a spiritual practice for me in itself. Like it just kept reminding me yeah. and kept bringing me to this. It seems to me that the suffering that we are all experiencing virtually all of us, there's some, there's a low grade misery that permeates most of our days. Mm. And it often has to do with a, a striving for something other than this. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you experienced that in your world. You grew up in a conservative, relatively conservative Christian world and, and sort of ascended the ranks, became mm -hmm. quote unquote successful, mm -hmm. right? Had all the trappings of success, whether it's material success, but also the sort of applause and adulation, literal applause, mm -hmm. awards, and people recognizing you on the street and saying, oh, he has it figured out. Mm -hmm. He has that yeah. thing that I want. He has achieved the the thing that if I could just achieve that, it would make me happy. And in the book, you talk about you got everything you ever wanted and it kind of made you miserable. Yeah. Isn't it like, it is the the gift. There's some great quote. I don't know why I'm bringing it up because I don't remember it. <laughs> but it, it's basically like, uh, I wish everyone would get everything they want so they could see that it doesn't work or whatever, some, yeah. something like that. And, and it is it is really like when I finally got the things that I had spent so much energy on to try to fill that void, to try to uh, be okay and it didn't work, then it just kind of left me with like, well, what do you do now? What do mm. you, this hopelessness. And I think you, it's so interesting that wh what you're talking about, how, how many items people have in their houses and stuff. It, that seems to me just to be the inner world writ large. It's like, that's what we do. It's what we've always, it's, it's what the human ego does with thoughts. That's what, and beliefs and our attachments to what, how we want our, to our desires and how we want the world to be. Mm. And we just collect and fill our minds with this, this mess of, um, thoughts looking for identity to solve some sort of existential problem that we feel inside. And so it's kind of no surprise that our, we do that outside of our bodies too. We're like, it's, it's trying to find something else Mm -hmm. to fix to get me away from this yeah in your book you talk about the not okayness i think is mm. is how you phrase it and uh i think that's yeah that's why you know internally and externally why we clutter our lives up is because there's a sense of not okayness yeah and yeah you did such a good job of in your book addressing the i don't know i mean and correct me if i'm wrong but the book kind of leads you to this 
um, accepting the not okayness mm-hmm. rather than avoiding it or, well, here's how I, here's how I became okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he even asked that question, right? What do I do now? Presupposing what well, there is something to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, part of that is the limitation of language, right? Yeah. But, but quite often we think, oh, I did it all. I got the result that I thought would make me happy. It didn't. So I need to do something else. I pursued happiness in the wrong way. Mm. So I'll just head this direction and there will be happiness. And of course, we try that in the book. You try it about a dozen different ways, right? Throughout your life, we try these different things to make us happy, to grab the happiness that's already there, that you can only be uncovered. Yeah. And when you get down to what we're running from, you really look at it, it, it's kind of a boogeyman scenario because it it feels, it's kind of embarrassingly animal and it's just a sensation. Like when we get down to why am I filling my life with all this needless stuff or why am I scrambling to believe it? And and when we get down into this moment, like what's actually happening right now that I'm trying to avoid? And it's just sensation in my body. (laughs) It's Mm. just... Like, oh, is there a little sense of fear or, or sadness? And am I really unwilling to feel like 15 seconds of sadness? If you really feel an emotion fully, it doesn't usually last that long. Right. It's yeah. a, it can be, it, it feels like when you're starting to feel it, like it's going to be this infinite wave of sensation and it's going to send me into hell for all of eternity. But when you get down to it, it's just a temporary passing vapor of yeah. sensation. But we don't want to feel it. We don't want to feel what's actually happening in this moment because it's a lot. It can, it could feel like a lot. So we go through this crazy amount of activity to avoid feeling this moment, including filling our lives with endless activity and stuff and filling our minds with endless beliefs and, and workarounds and loopholes and, and repressions and, and projections and, mm-hmm. and really you get down to like, or, I could just feel the sensation yes, and move on and feel that sensation. And the ironic thing is when you say, okay, I'm willing to feel, I'm willing, I'm willing to feel what it's like to be in this body in this moment. And that including its pain, mm-hmm. including its, all the, all the sensations, there might be a little discomfort for a minute, but strangely and ironically, it actually does become blissful and like free and full of love and even anger, even like we mentioned this on the maximalist podcast, but the um, Maharaji said, I love suffering. It brings me so close to God. Mm. And when you even find the kind of like dark kinky pleasures of the things that we think we don't want to feel, Mm. you can find this underlying beauty to life yeah that that really i think is what it means to be free mm. Oof. well let's uh, move on to some questions we have here let's uh let's go over to twitter barbara has a question for us how do we know if a belief no longer serves us do we wait until that belief is tested or should we always be looking for a sign michael i got a ask the question maybe if i were to rephrase the question do beliefs ever serve us (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Well, that's where we get down to like, what are you wanting? If you're wanting to experience some suffering, they might serve you incredibly well. If we don't have a presupposed of what do you want and not a moralizing of what you want, because really not moral, if you want to suffer, it really isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. That's apparently, we like it. Without a doubt, because yeah. we do so many things that make us suffer. So, it, it, in fact, if an alien came down here and they saw us, these people really they enjoy like suffering. <laughs> They're addicted to misery. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and so, I guess maybe the question I, I would ask you here is, what is that relationship between belief and mm, suffering? Yeah. I guess it depends. You have to define the words, you know, and I, I think mm-hmm. there's some element of belief that there's there's necessary assumptions that we make um you know all of us are trusting each other in this room to not be murderous you know psychopaths to yeah. each other right now we're all like we're probably going to be cool we're going to be peaceful. like <laughs> yeah. and there's a level that's kind of a belief about that like yeah. i believe you're decent human beings so you you need to operate in the world you need to have some assumptions or trust but i like those words personally more that belief tends to be a word in my experience, but I grew up in a very belief-centric kind of community that was really about closing your fists and being like, doesn't matter what the science says, (laughs) doesn't Mm. matter what those people say over there, we believe. Mm -hmm. And it was an identity thing, and it um, it was a closing down. It was a no of sorts. Yeah, And I... I think that doesn't ever create anything but more no. It's just, it, 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 if you're going, no, I don't care. I believe mm. um, you're shut, you're, you're resisting reality. And that is the essence of suffering. The mm. no to reality. The like, I don't want to experience this because otherwise it's just sensation. Like pain, if you resist pain and you don't want to be feeling pain, then there's that level of mental suffering that kind of makes it worse. Um, much worse if it's just a you know i have some stories about that in the book that are little graphics <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, about some times in my life where there was like some pain and no resistance and it was fine and and other times where it wasn't probably that much pain but i was resisting and it was hell yes mm-hmm. and um so when beliefs if you mean by beliefs you mean when do you clamp down and form and base your identity in some abstract thought about how reality is and when does that serve you? I, I don't think it serves anything but you getting the experience of suffering that you're looking for. <laughs> mm. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Man, I, I think about this question reminds me of when we had JP Sears uh, as a guest in Atlanta. Oh, wow. It's so, like five years ago. Yeah. And someone asked about beliefs and he was like, he's a, he's a comic and he's like, I really think you need to believe your beliefs. And you need to look at those and live your life with those, but don't hold on to them too tightly. Mm-hmm. So he said, have your beliefs, but don't believe your beliefs. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. And and what I appreciate about, about that is re- what he's saying there is similar to what you're saying is you'll notice when a belief pops up, mm-hmm. but clinging to it is what gives us that. Because yeah. a belief is going to happen if you're raised in a society. None of us are an island, raised on an island. And even if you were on an island, even that ecosystem would then shape your beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so your beliefs have been shaped not by your free will, 
if there ever were such a thing, but by everything that got you to where you are right now. Yeah. yeah. And you can recognize those. You can have your beliefs without believing your beliefs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Brianna, on our podcast at the end of this last season about belief and how make-believe to me is kind of like the highest form of belief. When, mm. we're, when we realize, like we're making believe, oh. like a kid, ma- let's make believe. And you need to do it to play the game. Yeah, You can't play a game without make-believe. So we all need to believe in that way. We all need to make-believe that money's real and that democracy is real and yeah. that equal, equality, all the things, all our words and our ideas, we gotta, we gotta believe those are things. Yeah. But if, <laughs> if we lose sight of the fact that we're making those beliefs for a specific desire with a specific outcome desired, then they become prisons. Then they become this abstract reality that's outside of ourselves that I'm now disempowered because it's, I'm in its control rather than realizing I'm actively make-believing all of this. Yeah. It's all fundamentally make-believe, right? right? And that's not pejorative. We're not saying, oh, because that can be seen that way. Oh, it's just make-believe. Right. Your beliefs, they're just make-believe. Or you could, yeah, my beliefs, they're just make-believe. It's active. Make-believe is active. Yes, you're, yeah. you're, you're engaged in the process. You're going, what kind of meaning am I assigning to my life? And what kind of concepts and technologies am I using? Uh, how am I building my life? And how is it related to my desires? As opposed to, if it's just a belief that you think you need to have because it's true, objectively, now you've taken yourself out of the equation. Yeah. And so now you're you're not aware of your unconscious desires that are leading you to that belief in the first place. And so now you're, you're disempowering yourself. You are, you're assigning, you're passing the buck of accountability of, of responsibility and of joy. Yes. Yeah. And, mm. and also the, if something is true, it's true regardless of your belief. You know, it, this is always funny to me that when we talk about like, it's easy to sort of point fingers and sneer at like someone who's a flat earther. Right. Mm. Because they believe the earth is flat. Well, yeah. okay. I believe the earth is round, but the earth is round regardless of whether or not I believe that. If my belief changes tomorrow, mm. the, the truth doesn't change. I just start to have a, a concept about something that is now untrue. And I think quite often, most of our beliefs, this make-believe that we, we have, it's usually someone else's beliefs who are thrust, thrust upon us, right? So now all of a sudden I'm believing all these other things these other people believe. I don't necessarily believe them. I haven't, I haven't stopped to consider what is true. I've simply been handed a set of beliefs by a religion, by a culture, by a society, by a peer group, by coworkers, etc. And now I'm holding on to those because you know some person confidently said that this was their belief Mm. it kind of if i could push a little bit uh, um, on the objective issue though is is that it i do think that because we assume the earth is round for instance like the earth is what it is but even when i say round that i'm signifying something that i have a concept of round and I still, if I totally displace myself from that, like I think that's what we see in the uncertainty principle is like the observer actually can't ever fully, you're never out of the room. 
Right. Mm. You're never observing something objectively. You can't, the observer affects the observed because it is in a way the observed that's observing itself. The universe is observing itself. Yes. And, and so the earth is round meaning. So if your beliefs, uh, if your beliefs about the earth's shape change and we have some measurements about the earth, the measurements aren't going to change based on your beliefs. Right. But there's also a level of saying, when I say the earth is round, I got to realize that that means something to me that's not ultimately objectively true. Mm. Yes. The earth is not round or is not flat. The earth is, the earth is not, not a word. It's mm. a, <laughs> That is also a, a belief, a concept. And, and it's kind of, yeah. yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, it's like, it's kind of the, the Zen koans are great with this kind of thing. Like, does yeah. a tree falling in the forest? Yeah. If it, what is it? If, if yeah. Does it make a sound if there's nobody around to hear it? Yeah. Um, it's like, is the earth round if you're not saying it's round? If you're not witnessing, is it round? Right, yeah. right. Mm. We got some more questions here. Let's move on to our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or you can email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We have a question here from Elizabeth in Gainesville, Florida. How do you deal with depression and anxiety when you were raised in a family that promoted both? Do you have to walk away from that? Or is there another approach that maybe you just don't know about? So, Michael, what Elizabeth is asking here is about, you know, she grew up in a, a family that promotes anxiety, depression. <laughs> and at first, that sounds so absurd, but our culture seems to mm. promote anxiety <laughs> and mm. depression. And, and I want to be clear, though, those things aren't inherently bad mm. either. In fact, you'll probably get more of it if you try to avoid it. Now, you talk a lot about this in the book, about uh, dealing with certain neuroses and, and uh, anxieties, especially with respect to the world around you and, and dealing with your own privileges, but also your own pains. And so... If you were to talk to Elizabeth here, she's asking a question about about dealing with this. I don't know that we want to deal with it per yeah. se. Mm. I think we want to do something different. Yeah. When it comes again down to what the actual experience that you're experiencing, Elizabeth, is it depression and anxiety? Like if you look in this very moment, or is it sensation? In this very moment, not as the, the stories, the words that we use can be helpful for diagnosing things and coming up with plans and how can we treat certain things and all that's fine and, and good. But there is an element, I think, to some, especially anxiety. Um, anxiety is often a fruit of us not wanting to feel what's actually happening underneath the anxiety. Mm. Like there's, and there are some um, psychological theories that I'm, I are what I'm, this is not my field by any means um, of expertise, but the, the anxiety is often talked about as sort of like a secondary tier of emotions. It's not a primary emotion. Mm. Anxiety is often a cover-up for 
some deeper experience that we're not wanting to have and not wanting to look at. And so anxiety kind of hums on the surface as we're trying to look away and not feel that grief or that anger or some of the primary emotions that can be big and that we've learned from our society as we've been socialized that you can't feel those big emotions. Otherwise you won't, you'll lose safety in the tribe. Like we all have learned, like shut that down. Mm. That's too excited. Or sure you can be angry. You can't be that angry. Mm. Otherwise you're going to lose your attachment figures in your life. So we've all learned, and as part of being socialized, how to kind of control our emotions. And there's an element of that that's fine and healthy. But but if we never let ourselves experience the fullness of what what's wanting to be felt in our bodies, then it kind of does create this secondary layer, this hum of constant. Uh, it's almost like the 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 gas gauge light or something like dinging or the seatbelt, the seatbelt ding, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Like, Hey, your seatbelt's not on ding, 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 ding. And anxiety's going like, Hey, you're not feeling, mm. you're not feeling the sadness. You're and, not, and, you're, <laughs> and yeah. the way to fix that isn't to, well, you know what I should do, just take out that alarm from my car <laughs> no, <laughs> mm, the flashing no. light. and that's yeah. how we try to deal <laughs> yeah. with anxiety is yeah. like, uh, I will do these three things. <laughs> it's essentially going to remove the alarm. No, this is the alarm that's saying there's something else to be felt, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So if you get down to, and that's again, this moment, mm. if you like, there's no, we even try to like push that away. Okay. Yeah. I got to figure out how to feel it. No, no. Right now, uh-huh. just what's happening in your body. And if you didn't resist that for a minute, right? One minute, you just invited the full brunt of it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just watch, see what would happen. And a lot of the, even the anxiety itself, accepting the, the yes, like going back to that, I love suffering so much, it brings me so close to God. Uh, if you can love anxiety so much, it brings you to your emotions. <laughs> Yeah. You love depression so much it brings you into your experience. Yeah. Yes. Oh, then man. it kind of takes its power and imprisonment away and and just becomes another sensation. That's all it's all temporary. The whole universe yeah. is temporary. Like mm. the, all it's all passing. Nothing lasts forever. So if you just don't try to make it last mm. <laughs> forever yeah. and just experience it, um, you can get on with it. And there's no, you don't have to fight against depression and anxiety Mm-mm. and you don't have to hold on to it. You can just notice if it's there and then it'll do what it does and, and move on as everything else in the universe does. Yeah. You can't be in the moment tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet and, that. And yeah, that's what we're often, that's what we're going for, right? Is, is, you know, I will be in the moment, you know, at 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. during my 12 minutes of meditation mm-hmm. and, not to say there's anything wrong with meditating, but meditativeness is actually sort of what you are are going for, what you're talking about here when we talk about being present or being in the moment. And you can't prescribe that, right? Good no. luck trying to say, well, all right, well, hurry up and be in the moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> what you're talking about when you're talking about being in the moment is you're talking about not suppressing whatever you are experiencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not running away from it. Yeah. And I think you can feel what it feels like to run away. It feels like anxiety. It feels like mm. get it, trying to get away from your own self. Mm. Yeah. Which is a pointless endeavor because you can't. Yeah. Right. Just makes it worse. Just makes it worse. Yeah. 
Oh man, I uh, so one thing that helps me kind of live with some of these negative emotions um, is finding some sort of appreciation. So I carried a lot of resentment from being raised Jehovah's Witness and how it's like you know my dad and I have a very poor relationship because of this religion and the beliefs and and I carried this, uh, like I said, resentment of like, oh, if it wasn't for the religion, you know, then, and I had this almost spiteful attitude about it, but I have, um, been able to move past that with some therapy, by the way, it's not like I just woke up one morning and I was like, oh, now I feel better. It was talking this out with a professional and, um, I can look at that upbringing. I can look at the you know, all the morals and value, everything that was thrust upon me, I can look at that and say, oh, wow, like it created who I am today. And there are, and that's what I love about your book is you talk about some of the things that you still carry from these stories that make you um, enjoy life and, and to, to make you the man you are today. So I don't know if there's something there for Elizabeth, but finding a way to look at that and say, Oh, you know what? Thanks for that symptom. I appreciate this symptom of anxiety and thanks for this symptom of, you know, whatever negative emotion it is instead of, yeah, instead of trying to resist it, try to find a, some bit of not just acceptance, but appreciation for it. Mm. Thanks for the alarm. Yeah. And yeah. without calling it a negative emotion. Yeah. Right? right. Because even that now all of a sudden taints our experience yep. because right. as soon as anxiety is a negative emotion, or depression is a negative emotion, the question is, how can I get rid of this as soon as possible? Mm. How can I set this on fire? How can I ignore this? How can I avoid this? Mm. How can I run away from this? And all of those are simply asking, how can I not experience this? Yeah. Mm. I think there are certain big emotions, especially grief, but a lot of them that in our society in particular have been really repressed and really made socially unacceptable. And I I read this book this year that I really liked called The Smell of Rain on Dust. And he was talking about mm. how grief and praise are kind of the opposite ends of the same coin. And we don't have our our experience of wonder of life gets limited because we kind of quash squash it all into this gray, like we don't want to feel the full brunt of the pain and the grief of existence and all that we've lost to make this world as it is now. Like we have so many wonderful technologies and, and advantages to living right now. We've also lost a lot and we don't allow ourselves to like grieve some of the lost connection that we have with animals and with the earth and with each other and with life in a way. And it kind of just numbs us to not just the sadness, but to the other side of the coin, which is he calls praise or wonder or this sort of like miraculous experience of life that can be so beautiful. And because it, it all kind of squashes into this anxiety blah. Right. But you talk about this a bit in your book and, and I assume from your research, you've, you know more about this, but like Buddhists or neo-Buddhists, they they do seem to do the same thing though, where there is mm. uh, an avoidance, and avoidance is probably the wrong word, but there is certainly not an embracing of excitement because excitement is 
synonymous with suffering to them in a way. Mm. And so I'm wondering about reconciling that because in the book, you sort of, you you go through atheism, uh, you're an atheist for a while, you're a Christian for a while, you're a Muslim for a while, a very short <laughs> period, of, you know, for about an afternoon, yeah. um, but very devout for that, yeah. that, that moment. Fully committed. Yeah. Let's clarify, a Homeland TV show based yeah. <laughs> Islamic follower. Yes. Uh, and, um, appropriating from a TV show. Yeah. And, and there, there are sort of uh, Hindu maxims throughout, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And what you realize, there are these different wisdom traditions who have different perspectives that sort of point toward the same truth in a way. And and yet I'm wondering, I'm wondering because you experience all of um, these different perspectives, um, was there a, a deeper truth that you came out of this with? Hmm. All these perspectives and languages, I really am liking the term technologies to think of even like religions, philosophies, words, practices, spiritual practices. Because if, if, if you kind of took like the, the minimalist philosophy of like looking at your, your life and what's serving you, if we did that with our beliefs and our spiritual practices and we're like, here's a thing mm-hmm. that's in my life. Mm. How am I using it? Am I using it? Mm. Or is it just something that's cluttering my mind? Mm. Um, then it allows you, if to me, the truth, the capital T truth is not something that can be spoken. I love how it, the Tao is the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. The, the opening line. Yeah. Uh, that That's the opening line of the Tao Te Ching. And, and I think that's one of the, that's as that's kind of as close to true as language can be for me. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like yeah. uh it's pointing to it the language's own nature. Yeah. Which is like a pointing itself. It's like this is the pointing. It's not the pointed at. Yes. It's the finger pointing at the moon. It's not the moon itself. And and so when we look at the teachings of the Buddha or of Christ or any of the great saints through history, and we go, they had they were saying words that were just almost true <laughs> yes. yeah almost oh, as true so as words can be yeah right. but then the followers and the people who wanted to make identities and communities and power structures based on those teachings have done all sorts of crazy and harmful things yeah. and some beautiful things with those words mm. um but it's not you know i don't think any particular buddhism is not f- by the irony of like trying to resist suffering that creates suffering. Like it, mm. to, to <laughs> the irony yeah. in, in almost all of these religions, if there's not an aspect of the religion that kind of keeps questioning itself, which I think Christianity actually does pretty beautifully. And that's what I love most about Christianity now at this point. Um, the death of God to God as Christ is on the cross and saying, where's God? Like that, contradiction yeah um is kind of the same as the Tao that cannot be spoken to me so when i when you see it like that and like these are things these are concepts in my brain these little abstract technologies that i can utilize to 
to what? And if and, and that's what you can be pay attention to. What am I wanting? And if I'm wanting to actually be present to this moment and be able to say yes, and I'm having a hard time saying yes to this moment, some of these technologies can be incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Right. To, mm. Because you, you're using it, well, it's a utility. When, when I'm asking the thing about a material possession, like if I hold up this timer, and the thing that Ryan and I often ask with, with physical things, and I think it starts with the stuff for us as the minimalist, does this thing add value to my life? Well, that actually springs up several more questions. What does it mean to add value? Yeah. Right? Mm. Like, does it serve a purpose? Does it bring me joy in some way? Does it uncover a, a, joy, a happiness that's already there? Because the other side of what you're talking about, the, the trying to avoid suffering leads to more suffering. The opposite of that is the pursuit of happiness actually leads to less happiness. Yes. Mm. And, and But if we can use these as a technology, not as a legalist prescription... Well, you must get down to these 100 items and you'll be a good minimalist and there you'll, therefore you'll be happy. Same thing is true with Buddhism or Christianity or anything else. You, if you're a good Christian, then all of a sudden everything is fixed, right? Mm. If you're a good minimalist, then all of a sudden <laughs> everything is fixed. <laughs> but of course, as you have alluded to already, nothing is ever fixed. Right. It is ever changing. Mm. Yeah. And the, this is the sort of through line through all of it. Yeah. This is, is an app is like the least, this is trying to say words that are the least false as possible. Calling it this is still false. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jay Krishnamurti says, I can't tell you what's true. I can only tell you what is not true. Yeah. And, um, and, and that sort of has this double entendre of a meaning. Yeah. Everything that I say essentially makes it. You know, some degree of untruth simply by speaking it. But when we're talking about this, we're not talking about definitions. We're talking about the essence of what we're saying. And we're trying to approximate it with these damn words because we're on a podcast and that's yeah. all we have. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're great if they're tools, if they're things, if they're experiences that we're willingly and consciously engaging, words are beautiful. And these technologies are just, they, what a magnificent gift that language is to be able to experience the world in these really nuanced and sophisticated ways where we can actually share between bodies these experiences using words. And it's like, it's wild and it's amazing. But when we believe mm-hmm. the words, we believe our beliefs and we hold on, then it kind of loses the magic. It becomes a dead, abstract thought as opposed to a living reality. Yeah. Mm. Elizabeth, I'm going to send you a copy of Michael Gunger's book. It's called This, Becoming Free. If you like podcasts, you'll certainly like the audiobook version, or we can send you the book book version as well. Do we have any questions from our live stream? We do. We have a question submitted by Shannon. Shout out to our patrons, by the way. Shannon, thank you for your support. What's Shannon have to say? He says, I'm in politics and seeking approval is part of the job. Mm. I know I can't make everyone happy and I do my best to focus on the importance of the democratic process. What more can I do to show others I care? Mm. Michael? How to gain more (laughs) approval. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Uh, Part of my job is, I guess, I mean, part of most, a lot of our jobs is probably seeking approval in some way. Mm. But so how can we, can we do the job without believing the job you know what i mean like yeah right can you can you have the belief and not believe it can you can you seek approval without having any of your 
any resistance to how it actually is now. That's, that's the real, the real dance and the balance of like being present and even finding a yes under the no, because finding approval, looking for approval is a no, right? You're Mm -hmm. going, we don't have enough approval. We need to get more approval. So no to how Mm -hmm. things are. But can we live from a place of yes underneath that where the no's are contained in the yes? And that's the way I, to me, yes, or God, like when we talk about the totality that allows all experience to happen, to me, like calling that yes is, it, it is, that's really beautiful because everything is give, is being given a yes at every moment, an mm-hmm. opportunity to be. Mm-hmm. That's a Yes. And so can we live from that place of being that is yes, being is yes. And when we're coming at it from being and seeing that there's absolutely just like when, when you have a, it's like, it's like getting a click back that gives you some perspective while you're watching a movie, you have perspective that while the characters going through their dilemmas and their disasters, that this is headed, that the, you're also aware that it's a movie and a story. So you're not lost. If you're, if you're lost in the movie where you believe this is happening and this is the permanent situation that this character is real and they're forever going to be in this predicament, you're going to be tortured. It's a tor- That would be a horrible experience to watch mm, a movie. Yeah. But because we can easily click back and go on some level unconsciously, like, this is a movie. Mm. I get I, I get that it's a movie. There's a thing going on. We got to tell stories. And if you can live from that place in a political job, you're like, yeah. I'm playing a game. I'm playing a game where we got to get votes and we need people's approval, but you can't give or take anything real away from me. Mm. Yeah. Because as soon as you need it, that's when the suffering, and and that's where the, I think the crux of this question is, I feel as though, A, it's part of my identity. I am in politics. I'm a political person and Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And that's not good or bad, but when, as soon as it becomes part of our identity, then, and you also say, what well, poli- so politics means one thing in our culture, right? But, but actually the root of it just means the affairs of the city or the mm-hmm. affairs of the state, right? Yeah. Which is a totally different thing, right? Affairs of the people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I guess there is some element of cooperation there, but the needing of the approval will always make us miserable. And so it's almost as though we often ask, like, how can I still need this thing but not be miserable? But of course, that doesn't work. Mm. Need is a really interesting word, yeah. isn't it? Like an interesting concept because we, it's an unspoken, it makes sense if I speak the desired outcome. If I say, I need. Like, I want this glass to be closer to me, so I need to pick up the glass. I need to, that makes sense. There's like a a step, it's a step that's necessary for my desired outcome. But if Mm. we don't say the desired outcome, which most of the time we do not, need doesn't make any sense. Mm. I don't need anything by itself. I don't need food. In this moment, I don't need food. Mm. If I want to keep living and I'd state that desired outcome, I'm going to need food sometime in the next several days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, uh, 
but that's only if I want to keep on living in this body. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I have to, I have to be aware of needs don't make any sense. We sometimes just blindly like, oh, but this is what I need. Well, why? What do you want? Yes. And we're ashamed of what we want. Mm. And if we didn't, sh- if we weren't ashamed, if we were just at, at, at peace with, oh, here's a desire that I have. And for that desire to happen, I need, then, then we're, back in the captain's chair of our lives rather than being like at the whims of my needs and my, mm, you know impulses yeah impulses yeah yeah ryan what time is it you know what time it is it's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages you can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654 now michael this is what we do during the lightning round ryan and i and our guests we try to answer questions with a, a short shareable less than 140 character response okay we call them minimal maxims. I like it. Something pithy that <laughs> podcast Sean could tweeze out and put in the show notes so you can copy and share on social media if you like. By the way, you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, uh, minimalmaxims.com. But here's what we really do. We just maunder on a bit, and then Sean tweezes out something pretty <laughs> and, and uh, makes us sound much more profound than all we right. actually yeah. are. Alabama, looks like we got a question here from Yuko. I was taught not to be a quitter and had a weird sense of pride about continuing to do things, even if I didn't enjoy them. How do we accept when it's time to move on? To quit is bad and to keep going is good, mm. right? And that's, that's, that's what was instilled in Yuko here, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been told that you should not quit or you should carry on. And if you were to quit, then it says something about who you are as a person. You're the type of person that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a prison that is. Mm-hmm. Quit what you were doing every single moment. Ooh. <laughs> Tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah, that's yes. good. And, and what you're really talking yeah. about here is... Well, that's almost like a an ego death in a way, right? Yeah. And ego is a big part of of the book that you wrote. Um, maybe we could expand on on that a little bit because sometimes people hear ego, and that word is also used pejoratively. Oh, it's just his ego, right? And understandably so, we do a lot of hideous things to other people because of our ego. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you're talking about necessarily when you talk about ego, is it? No. Yeah, again, if you don't have a desired outcome, there's no, how can you say ego is good or bad or anything? Ego is, I mean, for me, the way I talk about ego is it's kind of a a constriction that I identify as myself. Mm. It's a no that I've gone, oh, that's me. That no is me. (laughs) Mm. And, um, so me trying to play the pithy game of saying quit every moment. I think there there is an element of every moment that when when we really get present with it is both the death of all things that were and the birth of all things that are. Every single moment. This is the big bang that we're sitting in right now. This mm. is the absolute edge of it and the absolute pinnacle of it. Wow. And it's also the death of everything that ever was. Yes. Mm. And if we don't, the temporary, the the impermanence is terrifying to the ego because the ego is a thought of permanence. Right. I'm going to hold on to this, improve it, make things better. And 
And we're basically like, um, we're trying to polish an ocean wave or something, right? Mm. And it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Mm. There's a, uh, a lovely parable in the book that I've actually used on my, on my daughter in, in various ways. My daughter's eight and, um, the, the catching the ocean wave in, you know, I'll go out and tell her I'm going to catch an ocean wave for her with a bucket. <laughs> And she's like, oh, wow, really? I'm like, yeah. I go out and I grab the bucket and I'll catch a wave for it. I'll bring it back onto the beach. And she's excited to look in there. I don't know what she's expecting. Yeah. I don't think she knows what she's expecting. Wow. And then you show her and she's like, that's not a wave. That's just dirty just water. Bucket of dirty water. Yeah. Right? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't want to take it home? But like, there's also this realization there of the impermanence and and then also like the interconnectedness of it all. We call that thing a wave, but it's not a wave. Yeah. It's the whole ocean doing its ocean thing. Yeah. Responding Mm. to the moon and the, yeah, all of it. Yeah. Mm. Man. Well, I guess I'm the pithy for you. And I think it, it echoes what your sentiment was there. My pithy answer was to move on, drop whatever is weighing you down. I think maybe if I would expand on that, it's all weighing you down, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and so we, we often, we carry a lot of beliefs with us just because, well, we want to be accepted or just because we never stop to question the belief that is no longer serving us. Mm-hmm. And the belief you have right now, Yuko, is that you are a quitter if you stop mm-hmm. doing something. Mm-hmm. And Here's what I'm here to tell you. Yes, you are. And how wonderful is that? You get to quit so many things. Mm. Every moment is an opportunity to quit. Maybe if there's more empowering language for you because you have all of these bad thoughts tied up in quitting, maybe maybe it's about walking Mm. away. Maybe it's about letting go. You're not a quitter. You're a let goer. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And you're a a let goer. A creator. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, a lot of yeah. helpful ways of looking at it, maybe but more than quitter. Yeah, space yeah. maker, right? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. there, there are all these ways that are helpful to you. Someone else might see quitter as being empowerful or being empowering because maybe the culture you were in is is you were told to stick through all the time and it made you miserable. Now being a quitter for you is something that is like, yeah, I, I want to have that freedom to be able to quit, to walk away. Yeah, it's What you're really talking about is a type of freedom. Mm, and yeah. and not being able to quit is a jail cell. Yeah, yeah. it's its own prison. Uh, I grew up Christian, and the the concepts of heaven and hell we used a lot. And the way I see them now, uh, those concepts, I used to think of them as like literal places or something. But I, I think heaven is actually life. It's it's the livingness and the impermanence that's real, and hell is the the illusion of permanence. It is mm. the experience of permanence. It's the experience of who, what can you qu- quit that assumes permanence. It assumes that something would keep existing mm. for that you, who's the you and what are you quitting? Like it's your, your, uh, when we assign these stories to reality, if you just swirl the bucket of water and you're like, what in here is quitting? Mm. or what is creating or what you have to realize you have to tell the story it's just it's just everything is impermanent and we're telling stories about it so let's tell stories that make make it fun why not yeah Mm. Mm. yes you know it's interesting the ego 
you have an experience, you talk, talk about an experience where you went to a float tank and uh, you had taken some plant medicine. And I'm so glad you wrote about this because I've, I've thought I wanted to do this. And you talked about how like, hey, I don't recommend you do that. <laughs> because you got so separated from your ego that it actually caused you like legitimate harm, like physical harm. Yeah. And I won't like ruin the story for the, I mean, I guess we can, but, yeah. but it's interesting because the ego, yeah, we do look at it as a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. It's yeah. a, it's a tool. And like, we get to decide how we use it. And my, my pithy answer to, um, to Yuko here is to let go is to be free. Now that doesn't mean that you let go of everything. It just, it just, just understand that when you let go of something, it frees mm -hmm. you from it. Yeah. And so just like the ego, letting go is a tool. It's something that, yes, like you don't want to let go of uh, certain things in life. Like I, I love my wife. I don't want to let go of that love. I don't want to let go of this relationship. Um, not necessarily that I'm clinging to it, but, but maybe there's a point where I would want to let go, but it's, you go, she can just let go and understanding that it does result in this freedom. I mean, it might give her a little bit more leverage to let go of this belief that if she quits, she's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were joking via text message this morning, Ryan and I were, remember, um, their whole race controversy, let's go Brandon thing. I'm sure you heard about this somewhere in the news, but uh, maybe my, my fantasy was like maybe they're actually just saying let go Brandon <laughs> <laughs> like maybe it was a real empowering message yeah right um, um, and, and I think that quite often we get really caught up like, people ask us all the time Ryan how do I let go mm. as, as if there is a three step plan mm. And I get it, especially with, with respect to materialism. Okay, you can declutter your stuff. You can drive it down to the goodwill and hand it to them. But that doesn't mean you let go of it. That means yeah. you got rid of some stuff. Yeah. But if you got rid of it and you still have that attachment to that stuff, you've just increased your suffering now because now you don't even have that object of your desire. You've let go of the object, but not the, the, the desire. We had a mutual friend on the podcast, Peter Rollins, mm. and he sometimes talks about, you know, we quite often think we want to get certain things. We have a desire. It's almost as though we want to get rid of our desire. Uh, if I have a desire to buy a BMW, yeah. it's as soon as I get the desire or as soon as I get the BMW, maybe my desire will go away. But isn't the desire the very thing that you actually wanted mm. the whole time mm. or at least thought you wanted, right? And, and so as soon as you get it, now all of a sudden that object of your desire turns into a, a burden, an object of, of discontent quite mm. often. Mm. And so it's not about the attaining or the achievement of the the possession or the the status symbol or the promotion or the hit record or the mm. number of downloads your podcast gets because as soon as you get that thing you thought you want now you've gotten it and you've gotten rid of the desire now a new more sort of pernicious desire might creep up in its place mm. Mm. we got so much more to talk about but Alabama, you got uh, something for us first here's some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners Hi, this is Josie from Austin, Texas. 
Uh, Ryan talked about replacing his T-shirts every every year when they were faded and smelly from also wearing them to work out. When I have a T-shirt that's looking worn, I move it to my workout clothes and toss or donate what I've been wearing to exercise. That keeps my regular clothes in better shape and they last longer. Hey, Josh and Ryan. Alicia from Australia. Uh, Just ring in because I... I was listening to your Pittsburgh podcast and there was a woman there who was asking a question about what to do with her uh, blanket that an aunt had given to her and um, it was covered with like photos of her as like growing up and as a child and she does not want to keep it. Um, And I had a suggestion that she could donate it to an animal shelter. Um, Any blankets or, you know, old sheets or towels or bedding and stuff that people want to get rid of in in their minzing journey, Um, animal shelters are a great option because obviously the animal's not going to care if there's a warm blanket with a picture of your face on it. Um, They're just going to be grateful that they have something warm to snuggle up into and have a nice, safe sleep. All right, y'all. Big thanks to our new friend, Michael Gunger, for joining us today. Check out his book. It's called This. Also, his podcast is called The Liturgist. We'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And his band is called Gunger. And in fact, at the end of this, for our added value today, I want to play the first song I ever heard from Gunger. It's from their 2013 album. The album's called I Am Mountain. It's the title track. It's also the opening track on that album. It's called I Am Mountain. But before we get to that added value segment, Ryan, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. I hope you speak German. (laughs) Nine. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's the ultimate paradox. Anyway, um, Our book, Love People Use Things, which I'll hold up for the camera here, it's available in two dozen languages now, Ryan. You are so popular. (laughs) All across the world. This one is German. What does this say on the back, uh, Alabama? Up at the top there? Yeah. Weniger ist mehr. That means less is more. Oh, wow. Look at that. Wow. Can you read a a passage for us by chance? Is there anything? Not even a passage. Maybe just the back cover here. Yeah. Alabama not warm up my German articulators there. Before you get started on that, so the book, uh, you can just go to theminimalists.com slash foreign. You can see all the different languages. So it's in Slovenian and Slovakian. Okay. Our two biggest ones. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, it's in Portuguese in Brazil. Yeah. It's in Spanish and French and Italian and now German. It's also in Dutch and a bunch of other languages as well. Malabama, do you have a German excerpt from Love People Use Things for us? <laughs> sure. I'll read the back here. Weniger ist mehr. Wie lernen wir, ohne die materiellen Dinge zu leben, die wir meinen zu brauchen? Wie lernen wir, unsere Prioritäten neu zu setzen? Wie verändern wir die Art und Weise, wie wir uns selbst betrachten? Und wie bekommen wir das, was wir uns vom Leben wünschen? 
Gesundheit. Dude, we <laughs> we sound way more uh way more of, of an authority in German. Yeah, we're very aggressive in German. <laughs> yes. And what does the subtitle say? So it's love people use things because the opposite never works. That's the English. Mm-hmm. What does it say in, in German, in, Alabama? In German, the subtitle is Weil das Gegenteil nicht funktioniert, which is like because the opposite does not work or does not function. Because the opposite does, does not, not function. function. That is very German. I love yeah, that. That's great. So uh, <laughs> consult your local library or your local bookstore in whatever country you're at. You can go to theminimalists.com slash foreign to find all two dozen different languages that love people use things. And many of our other books are now available in Ryan for added value this week. Let's mm. check out I Am Mountain by Gunger. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week. Like, I have a strong belief that it's disrespectful to get rid of something if someone else took the time and money to give it to me. How do I let go of this belief and make decluttering less emotionally draining? What steps can I take to develop freedom from old beliefs, opinions, and worldviews once I realize they no longer serve my well-being? And how can we maintain peace when loved ones question our beliefs. Plus a million more questions for Michael and the Minimalist. And if you want to check out all that, check out the Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash the minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalist. If you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Alabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. I am mountain, I am dust, constellations made of us. This glow.